0: Our first uh, scripture reading is from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Apostle Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things He has made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second uh, scripture reading is from the book of Romans as well. Romans chapter 6, very short passage, verses 22 and 23. Paul writes, But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, not uh, too long ago, I was watching uh, Blue Collar TV, you know, Jeff Foxworthy and his gang, and and, uh, one of the comedians that came out was Larry the Cable Guy. And Larry the Cable Guy was joking about how his 94-year-old grandmother was suing the singer, Carrie Underwood. And the reason was that his grandmother had a car accident while listening to Carrie Underwood's song, Jesus Take the Wheel. (laughs) Now, what isn't so funny is that while investigating a man by the name of Keith Griffin, Uh, Florida detectives discovered as much as 1,000 photos of child pornography on his computer. His explanation, he stated to the police that he often would leave the room while downloading music and that when he got back, he would find these disturbing pornographic images on his computer. And so he told the detectives that it seemed the cat would often jump on the keyboard and download this stuff and that it wasn't really him. Are we ever more creative than when we try to come up with a good excuse for our bad behavior that ultimately we are responsible for? Well, in the opening chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul sort of plays the role of a cosmic prosecutor, like, like a, a lawyer right out of a Law and Order episode. And he's striding up and down the courtroom of history. He's he's piling up the evidence. He's leaving no room for any reasonable doubt except an obvious guilty verdict. Paul explodes our alibis. He annihilates our excuses. In fact, you heard me read earlier in Romans one twenty. Paul writes, Therefore you have no excuse. And then his voice sort of rises to a crescendo in chapter 3 when he says, There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? You may be someone sitting here today or watching at home who may not feel particularly sinful, and you may be thinking, well, John, basically I'm a good person. In a 2015 poll, 67% of Americans confessed to being sinful. I suppose that's a good thing. But the rest of the people polled didn't see themselves as sinners at all, or some even said that they didn't think sin exists. And 15% of the people preferred not to answer the question at all. I wonder why. So could it be that the Apostle Paul was maybe exaggerating just a little bit? Or was he right on the mark in his letter to the Church of Rome? Think about it. According to Paul, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we don't like to hear that do we we want to sing what we want to sing we want to live how we want to live we want to make up our own rules as we go on our way a couple of months ago i was playing uno with my sister and her family And I was changing the rules during the game, making up new ones like you could swap cards with your neighbor if you drew a seven. But basically, I was trying to do anything I could to try to have the game come out in my favor. I think it's the same thing in life. We want to play by our own rules, and we want to live our own way. And because God sort of cramps our style, we kind of shut him Out of our lives it's obvious what Paul thinks of that when he writes in verse 21 they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and what do fools do right they behave foolishly as Paul explains, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Now, did you hear the downward spiral there? We begin our lives as called to worship the Creator, but then we decide, nah, let's do something else. Let's worship humanity. So we worship the best and the brightest that humanity has to offer, intelligence. Hollywood stars, professional athletes, freedom, family, democracy. And yet somehow those things don't fill us up. And so we reach out again for something else that will satisfy us. And you know what happens? We wind up worshiping something less than ourselves. And I'm talking about the things that we make. Technology, a standard of living, life in the fast lane, alcohol, drugs, but then we don't even stop there Paul says we continue that downward spiral until we bottom out with the reptiles his point being that we are right there with the very beasts that crawl along the ground how ironic is that we strive so hard to be free and independent from God and in the end we wind up worshiping things that are about as far away from God as you can possibly get and so when we lose God we don't just lose God but we also lose our own humanity. And just so you know, this is not just something that happened back in the first century, but it happens right here, right now, every day in our lives. The late Dr. Scott Peck was a psychiatrist. He wrote a book, a very important book, called People of the Lie. And he tells the chilling story of an upstanding middle-class couple who became callous to the reality of sin in their own lives the husband was an expert tool and die maker and his wife worked as a secretary in an insurance firm and these were decent hard-working people whose lives were suddenly and tragically torn apart when their oldest son Stuart, aged 16 committed suicide by shooting himself in the head with a 22 caliber rifle their younger son Bobby, age 15, seemed to be handling his brother's death relatively well until the following September, when Bobby's life began to unravel. He got depressed, his grades went into a tailspin, and then just after Christmas, Bobby stole a car, and after a high-speed chase, he crashed it into a bridge abutment. He was apprehended by the police and was ordered by the court to undergo a complete psychiatric evaluation. And so that is how Dr. Scott Peck found himself sitting across the table from a young man whose face and demeanor looked like a lost battle. Now, Bobby started out by saying that he had failed his parents miserably and how he wished he were dead. And and so Scott Peck thought he would try to to boost the young man's spirits. And he said, "Your, your parents love you, Bobby. They gave you something for Christmas, didn't they? With that, I want to pick up the dialogue of this counseling session and share this with you. Your parents must have given you something. What did they give you? A gun. A gun? I repeated stupidly. Yes. What kind of gun? I asked slowly. A twenty-two. A twenty-two pistol? No. A twenty-two rifle. There was a long moment of silence. I, I felt as if I lost my bearings. I wanted to stop the interview. I wanted to go home. Finally, I pushed myself to say what had to be said. I understand that it was with the twenty-two rifle that your brother killed himself. Yes. Was that what you asked for Christmas? No. What did you ask for? A tennis racket. But you got the gun instead? Yes. How did you feel getting the same kind of gun that your brother had? It wasn't the same kind of gun. I began to feel better. Maybe I was just confused. I'm sorry, I said. I thought they were the same kind of gun. It wasn't the same kind of gun, Bobby replied. It was the gun. The gun? Yes. You mean it was your brother's gun? I wanted to go home very badly now. Yes. You mean your parents gave you your brother's gun for Christmas, the one he shot himself with? Yes. These parents are what Scott Peck called people of the lie. His parents had driven their oldest son to do what he did and were coping very badly with it. And now they were, in essence, telling their young son Bobby to walk in his brother's shoes and do the very same thing. And yet, they were so blinded, they had no idea of their subconscious ignorance, neglect, and disdain for their sons. We need to be continually reminded of just how bad sin really is. How bad is it? I can know what is right, I just can't do it. That is the human dilemma in a nutshell. I can know in my mind that I should not have another slice of apple pie. So then why do I go to the refrigerator and inhale the whole thing a la mode? I can know what is right, but I just can't do it. That's what caused Hamlet to cry out, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. In fact, in a Peanuts cartoon, even Snoopy gets into the act. He says, yesterday I was a dog. Today, I'm a dog. Tomorrow, I'll be a dog. Sigh. There's so little room for advancement. (laughs) What's the answer? Well, one thing I do know is that you don't put a Band-Aid on a terminal heart condition. Yet, as I look around, there is a popular Band-Aid that people want to use in their attempt to solve the human dilemma. It's the one that says, God helps those who help themselves. I'm continuing my sermon series uh, through these months of the Bible you thought you knew. And we've all heard that statement, right? Where in the Bible is that statement? Turns out it's nowhere to be found in the Bible. It is actually a statement that is attributed to Ben Franklin. Now, I know that on one hand, that statement, God helps those who help themselves, is about dusting ourselves off, getting up off the mat, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps in order to get along and get ahead in life. I know that. But there is another problem with this statement. You see, it's the belief that it views sin as a kind of hurdle that you can overcome through human effort kind of like a cure for cancer or the 4 minute mile. It basically says you're on the right track. All you have to do is give it your best shot, work hard, and eventually you're going to overcome the odds because hey, you're on the right track. Bible says we're not on the right track. We're on the wrong track. And worse than that, we're heading in the wrong direction until we meet Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and who turns us around 180 degrees in a process called repentance. Hear me now Jesus did not come to turn bad people into good people, Jesus came to turn lost people into found people through his amazing grace. And friends, that saying God helps those who help themselves is a lie. Because we can't help ourselves. Believing in this statement is just a feeble attempt on my part to save myself through my own efforts. And I can't do that. I can no longer save myself before God than I can go on the internet, watch a YouTube video on cardiology, and then perform open heart surgery on my own body. I can't do that. I cannot save myself before God. But I'll tell you what I can do and what you can do. We can entrust ourselves to the care of the great physician and let him do the healing. We can take our sinful lives and give them over to God. Paul writes this in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can open our hearts to God and surrender our lives to whatever his will is for us. Dr. Richard Selzer is a professor at the Yale University Medical School. He wrote a book titled Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery. And in it, he shares about an encounter that he had with a couple in a hospital room one day. He had performed very delicate surgery on a woman who had a tumor in her cheek. And in order to remove the tumor, he had to cut a tiny twig of a facial nerve, the one that leads to the muscles of her mouth. And it kind of left her mouth with with an almost twisted palsy. Uh, He says, like a clownish look. At one point, the woman asked him, will my mouth always be like this? He said, yes, it will. It is because the nerve has been cut. And so she nodded and was silent. But her husband, who was sitting beside her, smiled and said, I like it. I think it's kind of cute. And then Dr. Richard Selzer writes this, unmindful, he, the husband, bends to kiss her crooked mouth And I'm so close that I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her their kiss still works. Friends, even in our brokenness, even in our sinfulness, God loves us still. He bends down toward us, and he kisses our sinfulness And in order to save us, he once twisted his whole body onto a cross to show us that the kiss still works. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.